Welcome to Today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business, presented by FL Montreal. My name is Dan Delmar, along with Mike Newton of FL. Welcome back, Mike. Hey, Dan. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Good. Thank you. We'll get to some news and notes first, but tonight on the program, um, we're going to get to an industry that uh, that is very close to my heart because I, I did work as a transport broker in my early 20s, and uh, and we'll talk to Zach Kazam of Rightway Trucking. Uh, really tough industry, and a really... Um, a, a really, it, it takes a lot of will to be in that in that business, and we'll talk to Zach in a little bit, and we'll also speak about um, the challenges of recruiting, especially in a pandemic, and we'll be joined by an FL expert on that a little bit later in the show. Um, but first, as usual, some news and notes, Mike, and um, let's begin with media coaching and the importance of CEO coaching. I figured we'd start here because um, we have obviously a pandemic here. Uh, in Quebec, as it is everywhere else. And our public health leaders, our politicians, apparently need some media coaching. So I wanted to bring this up with you because I'm curious if this is something that a lot of business leaders do. Um, This is from the news actually this week. So uh, Dr. Arruda, who's our public health chief, um, he's being, they're spending about $60,000 for media coaching in three months for Dr. Aruda so that he performs better. So he's better able to communicate. And this created a bit of a minor scandal, I guess, in the news last week. And I'm wondering, um, if you think it's worth it. I I know I do, but I'm, I'm curious if you think, um, leaders in your circle, uh, find this kind of thing valuable. I think it's, I think there's definitely a value to it. I mean, whether I can determine whether 60,000 is the right number or not, I guess, depends. And you may probably be a better judge in terms of the number of hours that were involved. But I do know that, I mean, a number of years ago, uh, a few of us at the office actually did uh, did uh, some media training with regards to uh, PR and being thrown into press scrums and being thrown into television interviews and, and a whole bunch of other things. And I have to tell you that, you know, other than the fact that it was just a lot of fun to do. Uh, the reality is there was a lot of stuff that really stuck to us uh, from that exercise. And, and I think we, we, we belittle the, uh, I guess, like we do in most things, we belittle the soft sciences and nobody can really, you know, contemplate uh, until you ever have to use it. And then, you know, the $60,000 that he's paying or whatever we had paid at the time pales in comparison to the benefit that, that comes from it. And, and I think it's, it's what you do with it ultimately at the end of the day. If you're really lucky, you pay the money and you never really, you know, need to use it from a PR perspective. But certainly, uh, I think from uh, from Dr. Aruda's perspective, I mean, you're talking about a situation where the pandemic itself has so many people worried and concerned. You're looking for professionalism. You're looking for safety and security from your public speakers. The last thing you want is the doctor to come on and, and be all nervous and, and fluttery and, and not be able to address things. Indeed. And uh, it's also just a valuable skill for any leader, any communicator to have just the, the ability to test your uh, ability to think on your feet, to, to see if you can communicate those talking points and those essential points um, properly and with clarity, especially during a public health emergency. I mean, people downplay PR, but uh, obviously, you know, as someone who's been doing a lot of crisis PR this year, um, sometimes a, a, a appropriate turn of phrase can go a long way. Well, I think the, the the ability to to stay you know stoic and controlled, and that ability to make sure that everybody around you feels comfortable in what you're doing. And you know, we used to joke it. Uh, we used to have somebody in our office that every morning would walk into the office and knock on my door and say, "Is everything under control?" And I'd say, "Everything's under control." And after I don't know how many months, he asked me the same question, and I said, "Does it really matter if I have it under control, or is it you think I have it under control?" And he goes. 
So long as we think it's under control, it's under control. And very similar when it comes to PR at the end of the day. You know, you may be bothered inside. It may be, you know, it may be very, very uncomfortable. But I think that that image that you project uh, and a lot of it is body language. It really is not just what you're saying, but it's how you're saying it. Also, self-awareness. One thing I've been saying for many years is is meditate before you do one of these public speaking engagements or certainly before you go on media. It's not mumbo jumbo. It just gets your heart rate down, makes you more focused and lets you recall those key points and those sentences um, that are so necessary for you to communicate your, your message effectively. Yeah, it's it's hard. I think everybody needs to find that 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 sweet spot for them that makes them more comfortable up on stage and 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 or in the public eye when they're speaking. You know, you go back to high school and you think of talking in front of your English class, you know, doing your first presentation and how the world was coming to an end, and then consider what Dr. Arruda is doing now. And there's there's a little bit of a you know a bridge that uh, that has to be crossed in order to get that far ahead, but uh, it's still a matter of comfort. And sometimes um, you work with various personalities. It's, it's easy to do these things for some, a bit more difficult for others, and depends on the personality of the executive. And um, this story from Harvard Business Review uh, speaks to that point, how to brief a senior executive or business owner. Certainly, it does vary. If you're briefing, you know, President Trump, you might want to phrase it differently than, than your average CEO. But uh, it certainly requires a lot, of, uh, a lot of sensitivity and a lot of uh, mindfulness that they have a lot of stuff on their plate as well. Yeah, I read this two days ago and somewhere between, uh, you know, one of those eureka moments and a really strong chuckle on my behalf, uh, I thought this was a great article. And I, as a matter of fact, sent it around to a number of people in our office because, you know, the, the reality is anybody who's sitting in that C-suite or anybody at that senior executive level or business owners, type A personalities, their timing is limited. And, and it's, it, it may come across like they're disinterested. It may come across like they're being rude. Uh, in many cases, that's not the case. It's just that that focus of having to make multitude of, of decisions in a short period of time and you kind of get to the point. And it's, it's very interesting when you when you look at this article, because I think, you know, what you're talking about is, you know, you need to understand before you walk into the room to meet somebody and then while you're in the room and there's some very key uh, items which again translate across onto uh, onto a virtual environment uh, but you want to know when you walk into the room or you're going to walk in who are the key people in the discussion and and where do you get not only your confidence but uh, those people that are in the room that are also going to be be part of the decision making process um, the other area that that I think a lot of people don't recognize is, you know, they say, know your boss's tells, you know, basically, where is it? If you're a poker player, you know, you're you're looking for your competitors uh, tell. You want to know what's giving away, whether they're interested, whether they're staying in, and they're playing. Well, no different when you when you're walking into somebody's office, you can tell right away whether you've got them. And, and the reality is, is if if you don't have somebody's attention, OK, you have to find a way quickly to re rehash what you have to say and how you want to say it if you want to get your point across because if you've lost them you've lost them and and it doesn't matter how good your message is it just won't get across and uh, this piece from forbes uh how to succeed with remote recruiting especially during a pandemic mike you know i've heard a, lo a lot of cases of people bringing on key executives having never met them in person that that is challenging <laughs> You know, it's uh, I don't want to steal uh, Mary Pierre's thunder for the end of the show, but, uh, you know, really this this whole exercise within the pandemic environment and virtual recruiting is is bringing up a lot of issues that, you know, we thought for the first six, seven, eight months 
there was an affinity to being understanding and accepting anything from backgrounds to, you know, the way you talked or whatever, because, hey, you were making an effort and you are, if this is going to be something of the future, there's, there's a whole side of professionalism that needs to be addressed. And boy, I'm sure you've seen it, but I've seen some issues in the last eight months online that, um, kind of staggering at the end of the day. So if you're going to be interviewing somebody or uh, they're going to be interviewing you, because let's face it, today's younger generation, they interview us as much as we interview them when they come for a job. Make sure what you want to see is is there. You know, my son was a, a big uh, movie buff and, and a movie production. He always said to me, he goes, Dad, whatever you see on the screen in front of you, every single piece that's there is there because the director wants it to be there. So if you're going to be on virtual, you better make sure you're dealing with the same scenario. And coming up later, we're going to talk about pandemic-era recruiting, a very big challenge. Uh, but for now, let's get to our profile of the day. His name is Zach Kazam of Rightway Freight Limited. Hey, hey, nice, uh, nice to meet you, Dan, Mike. Always a pleasure. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. Um, it's quite an honor. Yeah, actually, my dad was uh, was on the show 20 years ago, so this is uh, definitely nostalgic for me and uh, very special to me. And uh, Truly looking forward to the interview. I'm going to add two things. First of all, I'm not that old. It was only 10 or 11 years ago. Me neither. <laughs> not to uh, not to, not you know not to correct you on uh, on air, but uh, I thought I'd have a little bit of fun. Plus, uh, I've pretty much known you since you were in high school. So uh, you know, we better be careful where this goes. So. Yeah, absolutely. You should keep some of the secrets close to the chest, please. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, you know, Zach, give us a little bit of history. Uh, you know schooling, uh, what drove you to, excuse the pun, I guess, but what drove you into the trucking industry in the first place? Uh, and uh, a little bit of uh, why you are where you are today. I, um, I, you know, I started off in the sales world. You know, I found at a very early age that I had this ability to read people, my emotional intelligence, was was higher than the average and i was able to really understand nonverbal communication and it really led me into a sales environment so like any i guess uh, career sales guy i started selling mattresses door to door and then i got involved in some pyramid schemes um which uh, i don't recommend um then i found my way into the what i call the uh the training ground or the best training ground for all salespeople, which was selling cars. So I sold cars for about three years and that's really, really came out of my shell. And I believe my, my fourth month in selling at Hyundai, I was the top Hyundai salesman in Quebec. So um, one day I was actually selling a Hyundai to somebody and he goes, Hey, yeah, you're pretty good at what you do. Uh, I don't know what you're making, but I can give you this. It's probably not as much as what you're thinking, but it's in this career of transportation and the possibilities are limitless. And I was at a situation at the point uh, in the car industry where I can only sell to what was coming through the door. And uh, this was an opportunity to actually get out into the market and create as much as I can and have no limitations. So that kind of propelled me into this world of transportation and uh, Worked my way through the corporate ladder, uh, started a small company, then went to, to corporate and eventually uh, realized that, um, you know, I come from a family that 
owns owns and operates uh, their own family business. And that was always my dream to run my own thing. So I partnered up with a gentleman in BC and we kind of took off seven years ago, creating this company right way um, that specializes really in service um, and attention to service. Uh, we like to say we assault our customers with service. Um, and uh, we started the right way name. Uh, luckily, the right way name ahead of time uh, was established in 89. They used, to, they used to bring movie sets up from Vancouver, from Vancouver down into California. Um, so we actually took the name and uh, kind of made it our own, but it also had the stature of a long established business. So after um, a couple of years with my partner, I've, uh, you know, through my career, I've been, I've learned what not to do and what to do in business. And there was a lot of things that I really feel strongly about. And that's really honesty, integrity, transparency, um, all these things that really help you uh, keep customers for life and really help you keep employees for life. So um, my you know, my partner at the time didn't have the same views as I did. So I said, uh, you know what, um, why don't we try separating? Um, I'll offer you a crazy amount of money for something <laughs> that, uh, that uh, you know, I, I really enjoyed the name. I grew the name. I, I it, was, it was me, you know, at the end of the day. So it was very important for me to keep the name. So I purchased the company for my partner, and that was three years ago. Uh, we started uh, at my house with a laptop and uh, a screen and we've grown and grown and grown and we're three offices later because we've been growing and uh, you know exceeding expectations so um, that led me to now the president of Rightway, um, where i can run the ship that i like to run and at the same time you know, pass on this vision and this uh, this way of life that I think uh, it's important not only uh, from a cultural standpoint, but for you know for our customers, uh, they they can see you know these these core beliefs and our pillars like you know transparency and uh, honesty, and it really translate not only on the customer side but on the employee side. So. I'm going to rewind you a little bit in, in some of that. And, and part of what I find, uh, you know, fascinating, and we see this with a lot of family businesses is not always do all the kids uh, or the next generation go into the family business. And, you know, for, for everybody has their own reason. Uh, I think you mentioned one of them, which was really to be your own type of uh, setting your own image. What's one of the reasons why you bought out your partner at the end of the day, um, you know, what was the deciding factor to not go into uh, the family business and to start your own thing? I, uh, I always wanted, I was, I made my own trail my entire life. I wanted to do my own thing. Um, I really looked up to my father and how he created something that was, you know, really uh, in my mind, a really successful business. Uh, my brother and sister joined the team. But for me, I was always looking to see how Zach Kazan can, can make his own name. Um, and I really wanted to see if I was able to do that. And 
you know, I don't know if it's a question of me proving myself to my family or just my natural drive to 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 wanna be my own boss, but it was really something that I had to follow through with uh, to make sure that you know it, uh, I had nothing left unfinished at the end of my life. Talking trucking this evening with Zach Kazam of Rightway Freight, and coming up a little later, we're going to talk about the challenge of recruiting in the middle of a pandemic as well as have Zach's one piece of advice that's on the way. But first, Zach, um, an industry that I have a really lot of fondness for. I, I worked in in brokerage and transport brokerage in my early 20s. Um, no relation to the big company that I share a name with. Some people will assume that, but no. Um, <laughs> I wish. Uh, but it's a fun business, but a really, really challenging business. Long hours um, dealing with drivers who are in some sticky situations all around North America. Uh, late night phone calls. What is, tell me what your business is like. What do you do day to day? Now, simply put, we're a transportation logistics company. Um, at the end of the day, you uh, and, and our competitors, we're all working with the same trucks. We're all working with the same rates. We're all dealing with the same market fluctuations. Um, but I found that the difference in the value add, and I guess our secret sauce has really been our solution-driven mentality, and most importantly, our extreme focus on customer service. Um, service in our industry is absolutely paramount. Um, it's truly the difference makers. Since uh, you know we have all these limited controls, the only thing that's consistent that we can provide to our customers is our commitment and devotion to customer service. Um, yes, it's a tough, tough business. It's a grind. It's a very transactional business. There's, you know, a big part of it is the problem solving uh, uh, mentality where, you know, you constantly are thrown in the fire. You need to find a solution. And um, you're right. You know, when it comes to drivers and when it comes to trucks and when it comes to all these working parts coming together, it gets stressful. The common work day for, for a standard transportation provider is 24-7. You know, yeah, you can sleep, but if the call comes in, you know, you're like a, a doctor with a pager, you got to answer that call. So it's, uh, you know, kind of fits into this whole new world where we're all at home and we work 24-7. So it fits great for the transportation industry. Um, but, um, you know, to, to kind of circle back to what I was saying, um, these this idea of, service 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 has really allowed us to kind of compete with the rest of the world the pandemic has obviously had an effect on a lot of different industries um, when i look at uh, the trucking industry you know i can talk to five people and seem to get five different opinions of the effects that it's actually had on the business that you guys are running what uh, you know what it how has it affected your business and what have you changed in order to accommodate the situation now, COVID had some positives and some negatives. Um, from a business standpoint, it opened up a ton of opportunities that we had never seen before. Whether it was overflow from customers who are now taking on new vendors for trucking companies, um, or you know, we're very specialized when it comes to the construction and mining industry, and all the PPE equipment and everything that need to to get to site. You know, it actually uh, gave us a little bit of an uptick in our business. Um, the downside, or you know, the the parts that we've been having a little bit uh, of issues with, is really how do we get from, you know, 
this office environment with culture um, and really translate that to an at-home uh, type of situation and running a business. And uh, it's made us realize that um, it's really important to have processes in place, uh, not so much checks and balances to see if people are doing well, but check, but processes in place where anyone who can come into our company can plug in and do what we need to do and spread the message that we're trying to spend uh, or, or send. Um, it's it's something that that's you know originally we get an, a trainee into the office and they would come in and they would learn through osmosis about how to speak to a trucker or how to speak to a customer or how we you know run our customer service department so the training aspect has been tough but these processes that we had to implement you know for culture you know we have regular zoom calls for you know, for, for process, you know, there's ways that we're calculating or seeing the amount of calls going out and uh, really using metrics more than, you know, thanks for showing up on work on time and being a nice guy at work or a nice girl at work. It's really more about numbers, performance uh, and things like that. Yeah, you hit, on, you hit on a topic that I think a lot of companies are struggling with right now, and that's performance measurement in a remote environment. Um, you know, the old school was so long as you were sitting in front of me and I could see you, I knew if you were working, I could tell if you were successful. The younger generation says I can work from home under any circumstance and be successful. So find a way to measure it. And now we've had no choice but to be thrown into the fire in, in those situations. Um, I mean, you're the, you're the younger generation, your, your, your sense of, of uh, control over the team, your sense of ability to manage uh, have you changed it from when you were there? Is this metrics based something you were doing when everybody was in the office or is this more recent? I think luckily we've had a progressive approach since the beginning where we've taken the stance of uh, who the employee is accountable for the work that they have to do. And we give a ton of purpose uh, for the employee to be able to, at the end of the day, say, this is mine. I own it and this is what I have to show for it. And we found that by getting uh, people really involved, uh, not, you know, from the decision making to really making the decisions on the, on the, on the day-to-day business has allowed um, them to really excel and take this business as if it was their own. So um, luckily we had this culture already of people who are self-motivated um, who want to get ahead because they're all in situations where there's a direct correlation with if they do well, they do well. So what is the, what, I mean, obviously you're, you're, you're in the trucking, you're, you're, you're the brokerage side. People are going to say, well, do you have trucks? Do you do your own thing? I mean, for some people define brokerage, uh, and define logistics and, you know, do you have your own trucks? Do you want to have your own trucks? Have you tried having your own trucks? It's a, you know, it's a dream for anyone that's in the trucking industry, if you've never owned a truck before, to get a truck. So um, crazy me decided, hey, you know, I'm going to grab a truck. Uh, This this brokerage thing is easy. I'm going to, I'm going to, I don't know what these guys are doing on the asset side, but I can do it as well. So I I, I purchased a truck. Um, It was a beautiful truck. 
I, I think since I've never bought a truck before, I smelt as green as can be to the salesperson. And I bought the most expensive, tricked out, uh, obnoxious truck you can ever see in your entire life. Um, and realized really quickly that in the trucking industry, it's really about economies of scale. And as a small operator, and I don't know if you've heard in the news, with all uh, the, you know, the Humboldt, Saskatchewan accidents and uh, a lot of safety issues and lack of regulation on the road, insurance premiums and everything has, have gone up. So, you know, all, all this being said, I got a truck. I tried to, to get uh, it going. I had a driver. I lost sleep every night thinking that the truck was going to crash. And I realized very quickly that I should focus on what I'm good at. Diversifying is great uh, when you know, you're at a level where you can do that. But right now, our focus needs to be purely on what we're good at. And that's hard enough as it is. So I said goodbye to the truck. <laughs> I, uh, if anyone wants to buy it, it's sitting lot <laughs> somewhere. We'll, we'll, we'll chalk that up to experience. That'll go in the experience column. Yeah, exactly. Um, Zach Kazam from Rightway Freight is our guest, and we'll have his one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur coming up in a little while. But first, let's talk about recruiting. Uh, joining us now is Marie-Pierre Moreau. She's a talent recruiter with PVisio by FL. Welcome to the show, Marie-Pierre. Hi, Dan. Thank you for having me. And Mike, it is such a challenge remotely, especially finding the right fit for your company. I mean, it's super uncomfortable to hire someone, especially for a key position, if you've never met them in person or even uh, given them a chance to tour the office. How, how is that process going for a lot of companies? You know, it, it, it's going to be a challenge. There's no doubt that uh, things have changed to a certain degree. And I think Marie-Pierre is, uh, you know, is is very well situated to to discuss some of these because obviously we're not only doing our own recruiting but we do recruit for clients and uh, i think Marie pierre i think one of the things that is key is you know how is recruiting in this time of crisis changed from where it was before um the COVID 19 situation is definitely unusual fortunately hiring new employee can be done 100 percent virtually uh, thanks we have technology uh, there isn't much that technology can't do, and human beings have an exceptional capacity to adapt and a high degree of flexibility. Much of the hiring process was already being done virtually, meaning uh, not virtually, but remotely. Screening CVs, phone interviews, reference, background check was already virtual so the big difference is really more the face-to-face -face interview that now has to be conducted virtually however it's fairly easy to use um, accessible and free platform as zoom to meet candidates many corporations with national offices have been using video conferencing in this process for several several years even before pandemic um, I mean, the technology allows you to meet without having to travel and even allows you to record the interview, which is, to be honest, it's, it's very effective. Uh, it was scary before, but now it's, I would say that it's really easy to book several people um, in a meeting, even last minute. So I wouldn't be um, 
surprised that it, it lasts even after the pandemic. So what? So what's the biggest difference on a face-to-face -face versus a virtual interview? If if most of it was already being done remotely before, what what really stands out to you? Um. So before I answer, I mean, during a common face-to-face -face interview, we analyze how the candidate present themselves, their answers, their nonverbal language, and their personality. All of this can also be done virtually. I would say that the difference is really more a matter of adapting to the concept, uh, the context, sorry. Um, so in face-to-face -face interview, uh, we're used to welcome the candidate, to give a handshake, to ask if the candidate wants a glass of water or coffee, even to, to, to look at the attitude that the candidate will have with the receptionist or other team members when they enter or exit the office. So those informal moments gives us an impression about the candidate. We're used to that. Now with virtual interview, the difference is we no longer have access to this, but we can analyze other elements, uh, such as the reaction of a candidate if there's a technical issue, if the dog is barking, if uh, there's a delivery man at the door, if the children is crying. So actually anything that wasn't supposed to happen during an interview. It's pretty interesting to see how the person react to this, these weird moments and uh, how they handle the stress. Uh, no doubt, uh, you know, this is bringing up a whole discussion when we get into the visual uh, and a whole branding discussion. So, Dan, uh, I know I'm sure you have an opinion on the on the branding component here and and, and what that means. What people see on the screen when uh, when they when they go for an interview. Well, I've been fortunate to be doing remote broadcasting for many years now. I mean, going back to uh, when I was at CJD full time and, um, you know, contributing to CTV News Channel, I'm always at the office or at home doing broadcasting. And my philosophy way before COVID has was don't put all this stuff in your background, you know, whether it's a, a bookshelf or pictures or plants, all of that junk in the back of you distracts from what you're saying. And so you could be the smartest person in the world, but if people are sort of looking at the screen and trying to figure out what books you're reading or figure out, you know, who's in, who's in your family photographs. That's taking away from the conversation. Well, basically what you're saying is everything I've been watching on CNN during the, during the last week's election with everybody with their, their PR books behind them at the end of the day is, is the wrong thing, the wrong thing to do. Uh, Mary Pierre, when you, when you're looking at this, like what are some of, what are some of the concerns or even some of the things you shouldn't do? I'm sure you've seen uh, more than a few mistakes in the last uh, eight months. <laughs> Yes, uh, yeah, definitely. So, I mean, I think one of the difference, I do have the impression that some people does both and both employer and candidate, by the way, I do feel they, they seems to consider the virtual interview more casual than a face-to-face -face interview. For example, the way people dress, um, would you do a face-to-face -face interview in a hoodie or with a cap on? I'm pretty sure the majority of people would say no to that question, but I do see that in virtual interview. And to be honest, it seems to be quite accepted at the moment. Um, another example is, as you mentioned, so the background people are trying to do like fake background on Zoom and we do see the shadow of their head. And 
that it's it's a bit weird and uh, I, I even see someone eating in the interview um that's not something that we were seeing before in a in a casual regular uh in-person interview so that's totally i think it's it's okay for now because we're still adapting to the situation people are a bit more flexible but i do feel that i mean virtual is becoming a new reality so i think we need to take it seriously and um to i mean it's important to take care of the image that you're you're showing your employer brand or the the what you want the person in front of you to remember about you so let's say maybe it's not uh, a hoodie or a caps on or something like that yeah it's you know I, I think the level of professionalism to this point online and, and, and it's interesting the hoodie and the ball cap co the comment I, I, all of a sudden people go online and that doesn't matter what age they are they've become techies you know and uh, and they think they can do and they can do a, a meeting with a hoodie and a ball cap on so yeah I, I think that there's a whole level of professionalism that's going to come from this and i do agree with you i think to this point what we have seen is a very very much uh flexible and tolerant environment because hey at least we were making the effort but I think if this is going to continue to be the scenario going forward, we're going to have to come up with some norms and, and some procedures that that we can all live by that uh, takes us back to a little bit of professionalism because it's been a rough eight months of watching people on the screen. Dan? Indeed. And um, let's turn now to Zach Kazam. And Zach, uh, at the end of our show, we like to do our one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur. And um, so take it away. What is What is your one piece of advice for an entrepreneur these days? Uh, I would say that um, on both the customer and the employee side, uh, always be authentic, listen, be patient, be honest and transparent, be fair and respectful, and empower the people around you. And uh, that's been something that has translated to both the customer and employee side for us and has been working. Thanks so much, Zach, and thanks very much to Marie-Pierre as well. Um, Marie-Pierre is a consultant with PVisio by FL, so you can get in touch with them if you need any talent needs. And uh, Mike, thanks very much. Uh, nice to have you back. We'll be back here in two weeks with Rock Thomas International. Yeah. Uh, Dan, it's always a pleasure to be here. And, uh, you know, thanks to Zach, thanks to Marie-Pierre. Uh, you know, we, we, we will continue to figure out what this professionalism looks like to all of us going forward. But uh, right now, uh, it's, uh, I think the key is to try and keep our, our businesses going and our people uh, satisfied and safe. Don't forget todaysentrepreneur.org for over a decade worth of entrepreneur stories. Good night, and we'll see you back here in two weeks. Good talk.